We're reviewing Angry Queer Somalian Boy, A Complicated Memoir by Muhammad Abdul Karim Ali. I'm Emily Robichaux. I'm Theo Dawson. I'm Karana Wu. I'm Carolyn Price. Um, so we thought that we would uh, do just a quick plot summary of the book just to familiarize you with um, the contents of it and the general story arc. Um, although as far as arcs go, there's not really a end to it, but we'll get to that. Um, essentially, uh, actually you did the, the, why don't we start off with the Somalian history? So the beginning of the book starts with him. It says it right on the back, um, kidnapped on by his father on the eve of Somalia's societal implosion. So that societal implosion in question was basically, um, from the end of World War II, kind of to like 1969, there wasn't really a set government in Somalia. And then in 1969, they adopted a leftist government. Doesn't really exist, but like a communist socialist government, kind of very similar to Soviet Russia's government at the time. And they were ruled by Brother Syed, who was a supreme absolute ludic- ruler. So he kind of like, like said everything how it goes. And then there was a civil war during the 1990s, which resulted in the birth of a federal republic. But that also resulted in a lot of political tension and violence, which is why Muhammad's father wanted to get him out of Somalia because, as he described it, it was an ensuing cult of death. So there was, like, like death was really high, a bunch of young men were dying, and he just wanted to get his son sort of out of that atmosphere. Yeah, so um, that is the, the kind of history behind what happened. Um, the first few chapters detail uh, Muhammad's life, um, in Somalia, leaving Somalia, but he didn't go straight to Canada from Somalia, um, which is actually something that I wasn't expecting going into the book. Um, First, uh, he goes to the Netherlands, and he lives there until, I believe, his uh, early teens. Um, uh, He goes through a lot of um, exploration of uh, his sexuality, a lot of trauma throughout the entire book, but starting at the very, very beginning, um, and deals with a lot of themes of assimilation also throughout the whole book. Um, he then talks about, uh, moving to Toronto, um, into the inner city with his, uh, stepmother and, uh, siblings who, um, generally were very abusive to him. Uh, From there, he talks about his experiences going to school and witnessing the gentrification of downtown Toronto, uh, which is another very, very common theme, as well as um, uh, the the event of 9-11, which caused a lot of anti-Islam sentiment to flow through the West. Um, finally, he graduates from high school, begins his time at Ryerson University, um, although eventually does have a suicide attempt, um, wherein uh, afterwards he goes with family to live in London. When he comes back, uh, he hops around a lot for several years, um, and then at the end, he is writing this book from a homeless shelter, which was a very big surprise uh, nearing the end of the book. 
um, you know, you kind of expect the whole thing to eventually turn around for the beginning of one chapter, the end of one chapter to say, and then I found my place. Um, but at the end, he is still living in a homeless shelter, still struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, um, and but does go through a self-revelation um, by walking through where he uh, uh, grew up in Toronto. And so that's kind of the, the general gist of the book. Yeah. So we're going to be doing kind of like, we're, we're going to review different aspects of the book on more of a how our theme is presented and how we felt about the book. And then we're also going to be discussing some of the issues in the book because it's the sort of book that you can't really look at like objectively. You really have to like see how the issues in it like affect you personally. So we're going to have a mix of both. Kind of everything going on. Just a lot talking about the book. So, yeah, so, um, the first question that I had that I was kind of thinking that we could talk about is that most books that we read in a day-to-day basic generally have some sort of closure to them. Um, not so much for like short stories and stuff, but when you pick up a novel, you're kind of expecting that silver lining, that little happy ending to it. And this book did not have that at all. So I was just wondering what everybody's opinions on were on the end of this book. I know you kind of touched on it. Considering that it had no closure, it had no bow, it wasn't a pretty ending, really. Yeah, when I read books, I typically go for like an action-adventure book or fantasy. And those always have the perfect ending where either like the good person lives a happy life or, you know, anything. But... In this book, it was very different from something I'd normally read, and I actually really liked it. Um, It kind of leaves it up to the imagination, even though it's real life, like it's his life, but I feel like it was was a good, different thing that I could read. I was kind of like speechless when I finished the book. I didn't expect it to end um, in a happy way, obviously, just looking at the whole book and looking at his life. Um, I was, I guess, like satisfied when he realized that he needed help or like he realized that he needed to get help and uh, I kind of found myself crying at the end because like I was just like you you went through this journey with him and like you looked at all the stuff that he went through and then it's like a happy ending in in a sad kind of way it's bittersweet yeah it's bittersweet yeah Yeah. and yeah I I really did enjoy how that was the ending yeah, when I finished this book, I sort of realized that I had, like, begun, begun to kind of, like, become attached to him almost. Yeah. In a way, like, I would think about the author, like, someone I've never met before, somebody that I knew. And so I was very sad, almost, like, like internally, just about how it was ending up for him. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. I'm like, I don't want that to happen. And then when I realized that, I realized that, like, I realized a lot of stuff about myself, that I actually live a pretty sheltered life and the term of how things go, and I'm like, oh my god, like, I've never been exposed to this before, so it really kind of, like, kind of, like, I found myself crying at the end of the book just because I realized kind of how painful life can be, and how unexposed I've been to that. I, for me, I, I think the ending of the book is kind of a broader extension of, uh, break of form as, as, as a reflection of the rest of the book. Um, the book is really episodic in nature, 
Like, you, you don't have, a, you know, a cliffhanger ending that picks up in the next chapter right where it ended. You know, there are a lot of different time skips from that span from days or weeks or even years. Um, and so I think that break of form uh, is, is more reflected in the ending of the book, uh, not having a complete, like, com- like bow on it um yeah (laughs) um and I also what you said about feeling like you had grown attached to him that you you were sad to kind of lose this person almost um because that's kind of what a book sometimes feels like what kind of that's kind of what finishing a book feels like is um the fact that There was a a portion where he was talking about after 9-11, there was a growing anti-Islamic sentiment in the West, and a lot of formerly Islamic people came out and were like, Islam is a terrible religion, and it traumatized me, and it's so awful. Um, And he he says, they were pimping out their experiences, whereas I had a legitimate gripe. And that reminded me a lot of something that happens in, and something that I've seen happen in almost every minority space. Yeah. Um, respectability politics, where um, people who are um, of a certain minority um, try and make themselves the most palatable that they can be to try and protect themselves from oppression from the majority. And that can be really frustrating to see as a minority person trying to live their authentic life because you see all of these people um you know painting themselves and you, as as first of all the speakers from the minority to the majority as the only uh perspective worth listening to. Yeah. Um talking about how, you know, like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter that I, that I am gay or that I am trans. I'm just like you, straight and cis people. Um, and it's, it's, it, it, I, I think it, it, it's a really, like, good thing that he touched on yeah. there. Because, and then there are some people who have very legitimate traumas from their minority. Yeah. And people, like, more privileged people, you more privileged people of that minority using the fact that other, that the majority hates them as a way to gain more social status yeah. is such a problem in every space. I can't say anything about <laughs> yeah. that perfectly, oh my gosh. is one of the great strengths of the book is that um, as a memoir, it is beautifully done to make the reader feel like they know the author. And I feel like that should be the, uh, I feel like that should be the, and I feel like that should be the goal of every person who writes a memoir. And I think I've definitely kind of translated that into my own writing for this class. 
I want the reader to have the same amount of understanding of, as, of me as I felt like I had gained after reading a new chapter of the book. Um, how the isolation of young gay men uh, causes a lot of irreparable damage. Um, in, in, in both the community as well as individuals. These, uh, all over the world, ever since very, very recently, and still probably to this day, gay men are very isolated from people like themselves, unless you're very fortunate. Um, and this leads to a lot of issues, such as seeking out anybody, including older men, to be romantic with because you need to feel that connection and that's something that Muhammad kind of touches on in a lot of his uh, work as well as as well as dangerous or harmful men to himself uh, and it's a, it's a topic that a lot of the gay community is very hesitant to broach because of the stereotype that you know all gay men are predators uh, or will will harm you in some way uh, but there, there is a reason for the fact that this is a common issue and it's, it is rooted in society, um, in the isolation of these men. I almost feel like I don't know enough to sort of answer your question because <laughs> I was like, the majority of the topics covered in this book, I have not been exposed to before. And I'm actually like kind of upset to admit that, but I also feel like I have to because I need to make that like understanding that a lot of stuff I learned for the first time when I like turned a new page. But I just feel like I didn't even know that that was an issue in the gay community, if I'm being completely honest, because I've been very uneducated. And after reading this book, I actually, like I took the time and like liberty to actually educate myself more. Like I looked up documentaries and I looked like, I, I just Googled stuff. Like I wanted to be more educated on these subjects. And I don't like, I don't feel like I can almost answer your question because I feel like I just don't know enough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel the same way. I find it kind of difficult to like think of something that I could say that would because I don't I haven't experienced any of this before so yeah totally kind of have to speak on that issue um I wanted to talk about at the beginning of the book or near the beginning um, when the stepmother, I think it was the stepmother or the mother, circumcised her daughters, mm. that was a really painful part to read. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it was a really short chapter. It was like two pages long. Yeah. And you just hear about him. I think he's, he says like a woman comes to the door and him and his brother are just sat down in front of the TV to watch boxing. And all they and hear is screaming. All they hear is screaming out of their two sisters. And I'm like, I'm sort at that point I sort of understood what the culture was going to be like in that family because I'm like okay here we are we like your sisters are screaming in the room next door like if I heard my sister screaming I don't care what anybody would say like I would go and like make sure that she was okay but I'm just like that was the culture that is the culture now to sort of have that like circumcision of women I didn't even know existed before I didn't know that was a part of certain cultures and I'm reading it and 
I'm almost feeling like I can't even understand what's going on because this is all, they said they saw their dad coming out with like towels of blood. And I'm yeah. like, okay, culture and tradition is really important to his family. And that's something that I need to like keep in mind. And like I saw on such a large scale what tradition and culture can do to somebody or right. can do to like the physical health of somebody. And two or three times in that chapter, he did say like, I hear my sisters screaming and I want to go help them, but I just couldn't move. Yeah. And I think it was because he was completely petrified of his parents. Yeah. Helplessness is a major theme in this book. Completely. And and I think it's something, it's one of the most universal, universal and relatable uh, themes explored in this book is the feeling of the bystander effect and how it feels to contribute to standing by to something that feels atrocious and feels in your gut that it isn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the way that he explored that specifically in this chapter was like artfully written. Yeah, I think help- helplessness is like a really big thing when it comes to culture because you're so like, it's something you don't want to hear like, in, in this case, in this chapter, like he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want his sisters to be going through these things. But it's also so scary to go against your culture and like become ostracized by like your relatives and your parents. Like you don't want that disappointment. But like it's also that you're unsure of what to do. Yeah. Mm. being only acceptable in Western culture or white people, mm-hmm. which uh, is kind of hard. Uh, like growing up, you only see white people coming out or white, like queer white icons. And uh, sorry, um, yeah, and I think it's like part, like if you're a person of color and growing up queer, it's, you can't accept that part of you because you don't see anybody else like you. You don't see any other people of color that are queer and it's almost like you can't be queer because of that. It's like, oh, it's not normal. Like, I'm not white, you know? Like, no one's gonna accept me because I'm a person of color and I'm queer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that was like a big conflict that he had, um, especially with his family. Uh, like the part at the end of the book where his stepsister um, was talking about uh, how she wanted a gay friend, but he could have been that gay friend for her, but she did not accept him because he was not white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and all of that also contributes to the theme of, of and theme and, and issue of isolation mm-hmm. uh, because when when you've got already being a, a queer man growing up in in the 80s and the 90s uh even in the west even in canada and uh holland um it's still you have an added layer of being completely ostracized for your skin color um and and that in the book that causes him to seek out some really 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 maladaptive coping mechanisms 
uh, to the point where he was diagnosed with psychopathy at a, at a young age. And that's never really touched on again yeah. in the book. Uh, but it was a part that I, I really felt deeply for him as somebody who's also experienced very maladaptive coping mechanisms. Uh, it's, it, it was a experience that I could, I, I really felt his pain in that part. Um, oh, like almost, I feel like in a similar way as like maybe you did while reading the, the circumcision section, you know, I feel like all of us had certain elements of this book that we, that really hit us and really connected with us uh, for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, like the, his, his talk about how queerness was only acceptable on white bodies and as a symptom of, I think the way he phrases it is white degeneracy or, or Western degeneracy, um, and how that was viewed by his sister, um, was really artfully put by him. Everything in this book is is yeah. really artfully put, but mm-hmm. I, I that section really really was good. Yeah, I found that while I was reading it, and I was obviously trying to like understand a bit more what was going on, so I was like looking at other resources, trying to just make sure that I went into this with the appropriate knowledge. I found that a lot of the like people whose stories I came across and a lot of the different like exposure that I received was a ton to do with like Western culture. And it was kind of all like people from the States or people from the UK, the occasional like Russian person. And like, it was basically just like Canada, the US and the UK. And that was it. And everybody was like super, like super accepting. And like the media was blowing up. It was like imploding. Everyone was like super happy. And then I realized, I'm like, wait, how come the only, like, gay person that I've heard of who is, or, like, like icon in the world, obviously I've heard of other people, but, like, in, like, icon that people might know, because he's an author, is in a book that I'm reading. Like, or sorry, I guess, like, a gay black man. Mm. Like, one of the only icons that I'm familiar with, like, mind you, my, like, outreach is not very broad yet, but I'm, like that's kind of awful that this is the only exposure I'm getting is from one source. It's a fantastic source, but there should be more. It should be just as easy as going and reading about like any of the other icons that you hear about on a daily basis, like on TikTok and Instagram. And like, there should be more of that. And I feel like it's just like, you can drastically see it. Once you start looking for it, it, you can't avoid it. I also feel like the people that he seeks out reflects this. Like, he doesn't go... Like, when he is coping and seeking out these older men, the people that he chooses or chooses him are fetish fetishizers. They're always, like, older white men... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, that are fetishizing his skin color and... Expecting dominance from him. Exactly. Yeah. And even when he doesn't seek out older men, those people that he's with also expect dominance from him because of his skin color and it's just it's wrong and like it makes me really sad because like he's never able to form a proper relationship with anybody because of that yeah I, I haven't really considered 
that he portrayed in this book until now is uh, the feeling of hopelessness and that you will never find, as a queer person, you will never find a partner who truly values you. Um, All you have to substitute is people who are looking for something else, looking for sex or looking for you to almost serve them in yeah fit a certain like idea or thought that they have for you yeah i didn't think of that oh i know and like that's something that's really real for him yeah and i i've definitely gone through that period of just feeling completely hopeless about my chances as a as a gay person yeah like yeah, if you guys have said it all completely <laughs> perfectly. Emily, do you have anything that you want to add? Um, I was going to say, um, I feel like he said a lot in the book, the girls saved him. Like, his female mm. friends saved him. And I feel like that's something to talk about where the gay community needs more allies. Like, there needs to be more like, straight males. Like, mm. and the, anyone else. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. There just there needs to be that outreach, that almost like it. It well, obviously I don't know. So maybe if you guys want to talk about this in a bit on a better like education than I have, but I yeah like you hear a lot about like girls supporting all that, and even like on TikTok it's like oh for the girls and the gays, Mm. and it's like okay, but why? Like what's stopping your brother from feeling the same way that you are? And what's stopping your dad from feeling the same way that you are? Like, there's no, there's no boundary there. Like, they're creating something that doesn't have to exist. And I just don't see why it does. There's a, there's a major blockage of, of straight men to be allies to the gay community because of toxic masculinity. Um, and that's why even as a, as a young person back in, back in Holland, uh, he found, uh, friends in women and, and girls, uh, is because they taught him that, and, and they encouraged his femininity. They didn't try to push it down or Make cause him, him something that he's not. Yeah. yeah. And he just like that. And that's why a lot of gay men, especially, again, in, in more rural areas, exclusively have female friends. You know, it's almost a stereotype. Yeah. You know, the one gay man best friend and the one group of girls. Yeah. yeah. You, you see it in, in TVs and movies and everything. Um, it's, it's a real thing because straight men simply cannot allow their fragile masculinity to penetrate the to 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 be penetrated by the uh by what femininity is um and part of that's misogyny also yeah 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 so i have one of the questions that i put is that like considering that this book did take place not the majority in canada but like the whole ending of it was situated in Canada. 
um, how important do you believe this book is, particularly in opening your eyes to the antagonizing social forces? Um, he talks a lot about not knowing what his culture is supposed to be, sort of throughout the whole book. Like when he's in, he starts out in Somalia and he's Islam and he's like, they're studying all that and that's the way of life, that's social norm. And then they move to Dubai for a little bit and like he's still in like a predominantly Islamic culture and they're still sort of following that and they're still studying the Quran and they're still doing all that. And that's normal because like what all his friends are doing. And then he moves to Holland and which is one of the most racist, sexist, not accepting countries in the entire world. And they're kind of like, he's kind of shocked into that society. He's like, okay, I'm this way at home. I'm this way when I'm with my friends. I'm this way with my teachers. And he's almost like he's, splitting his culture in an array of parts that nobody can really handle like he almost feels like he can't accept his culture and then he moves to Canada where the kind of like the whole brand is like you can be whatever you want to be you just be who you are and life is good and that's kind of what Canada's portrayed as is like this lovely accepting country and then he's like okay I just spent the last six years living in the Netherlands where I oppressed my culture and I oppressed my religion to a point where I don't even identify with it anymore and now you're telling me to take it back like take something back that I don't even understand anymore and it kind of like I never really realized like what relocation can do to somebody especially something like a young person like you're figuring out who you are and like for the entirety of your life but especially in like your like early like late teen years like you're really you're really figuring out who you want to become and I feel like with his moving around so much he was kind of like every second day almost he was being told this is who you have to be mm-hmm. like fit into your like fit into the Somali culture in Canada well he says that like half those kids have never been to Somalia before that that's just like who their parents are but they've never been there but like he's like I've seen this And I just feel like it really kind of, like, I feel so much more educated now in our country's openness. Because I'm like, how open are we really being if we're forcing people to be diverse when they might not be anymore? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that, that ending part is, is really, really true. Especially while you were talking, I, I remembered a quote of, Toronto's motto is diversity is our strength. What is more diverse than black flesh on a police baton? That's exactly what I was going to say next. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what, that's, that's another really prevalent theme in the book of, yeah, he, he doesn't know what his culture is. He's trying to fit into Somali culture. But another part that I found really, really illuminating uh, was when he talked about not feeling like black culture was something for him because black culture in the west is primarily created by people who are descendants from people who were brought over as slaves in you know the the 17 and 1800s um and so and actually i was ta- I, I was reading up a little bit there is a growing push in academia for black to be capitalized with a capital B due to the fact that Western black culture is 
its own thing almost completely separate from African black culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he was also being told, you are black. And, but when he tried to look at, you know, okay, well, I'm black. I've got to participate in black culture. He couldn't connect to that because the culture isn't based on your skin tone. It's, it, it is based around, you know, what you grow up in. Mm-hmm. And so he was told he had to connect. He was getting messages that from people at school, his peers primarily, that he had to connect to black culture because he was Somalian. Um, when that wasn't something that he was really capable of doing. And he felt, and he talks a lot about how that is a really alienating feeling. Yeah, for sure. He never really got around to your, how did it impact your oh, procession yeah. of Canada? I guess. <laughs> so we can, we can do that then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm just going to kind of touch on how this book sort of like put an impression on me with my own like identity and with my own heritage that I've been brought up in. So I was brought up in an extremely Dutch household. My mother's parents are directly emigrated from Holland in like the 50s. And so my mom grew up with like all of that, like the Sinterklaas and like Speculaas and like my sister and my mother both speak fluent Dutch. I can have an okay conversation. I grew up in a very, very European, Western European Dutch household. And I almost had this view of that's like, up until really, really recently, I was like, oh, that's an amazing place. I'm like, look at that tiny country. They've like overcome so many things, like so many annexations. Like they've kind of defied the odds of Western Europe because all they do is have tulips and windmills. Oh my gosh, they're killing it. And I had this amazing perception of it. And then I was reading this book and I was becoming very, very shocked when I was reading the entirety of the thing. I was just like, oh my God, like this is a country that has systemically put down black people have integrated it into their celebrations to a point where it is socially acceptable by an entire nation. Because I don't know how familiar you guys are with Sinterklaas. But what it is basically is it's their Christmas. So St. Nicholas, he gets all dressed up. He climbs on people's roofs and he shoves stuff down the chimney. He like throws it down. And his helper is named Zwarte Piet. And that directly translates to Black Peter. And the story of it now is that he got he became black by being being covered in soot from the chimney which already isn't great which already isn't great (laughs) and then there's even a part in the book where he directly says that and he's like yeah there's no way that's a thing because then you look back in like the stories from like the 50s and oh my gosh that's not what it is it was like Georgia Pizza's slave it's literally just blackface it literally is it's completely blackface and they didn't stop putting on blackface for parades until I think 2015. Oh. I think that was the last time they had a full blackface parade. And what made me kind of like open my eyes was the fact that I celebrated Sinterklaas this year. Like this year on December 6th, I did that. I put out my clog. I got a present in it. I got some chocolate. Like me, my dad, my mom, my sister did. I phoned my grandparents. Like I phoned Oma and Opa and I did that whole thing. And I'm like, oh my God. God, like, I celebrated that. Like, I was an active participant in something that has been systemically putting down black people. And I was like, 
how can I say that I'm not, like, I don't identify, obviously no one identifies as racist, but, like, how can I say that I'm not racist when I've been doing that, like, my entire life? I think, and this is a really controversial thing to say in, like, a big classroom, but I'm glad that this is kind of, like, a four-person discussion. Uh, there's this growing sentiment that all white people are inherently racist, yeah. which white people hear and they rail against. Uh, they go, I'm not racist. Uh, how can you say that about all white people? But the thing is, all white people benefit from systemic racism. That, if, yeah. you're, if you're white, you, there are certain things that you don't have to worry about that, other, that black people do or that yeah. people of color do. Um, and and so in those ways, you are racist because yeah. you are directly benefiting that. Um, and it's a constant unlearning process. It's a lifelong learning process. There's never going to be a point in your learn in your as a white person's learning about racism where you can finally go, I am no longer racist. Yeah. Because it's it's lifelong, you know? It's 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 always instilled in you growing up especially in canada um especially in eastern canada yeah um and it's still pushed on you even as you're trying to unlearn and you're yeah you're almost trying to like you're trying to understand what's good and what's bad but you almost aren't ready to put that part of you away Mm. you're almost ready to like come away from that and the chapter where he speaks the most about the netherlands is called the dutch disease and that's the best way to sum it up. Like, their entire culture is like that. So I went to my mom after reading that chapter, and I asked her, I'm like, is this all true? I'm like, is this, is this real? Like, have you not told me that this is what goes on in this country? And my mom just kind of looked at me, and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, why have I never been told this before? And she's like, because until very recently, I didn't see what was wrong. And that's what she said. And I'm like okay (laughs) so i went i talked to my sister i actually phoned my grandmother and i had a very botched dutch conversation with her about all this (laughs) and she's not a very um like she's not a very progressive individual oma love her to death but not very progressive so i had a conversation with her about this and i'm like oma do you understand that this is what your culture is like do you understand that this is where you're coming from do you get that because she always says about how she'll support black people no matter what, support people of color. And I'm like, but do you understand that this is the culture that you're coming from? And she looked at, and she, like, on the phone, I swear, she probably was looking at the phone like I had three heads. She's like, that's not true. She's like, Dutch people are so accepting. And I'm like, oh, my, they're not. <laughs> and so, like, even now, like, every day I kind of wake up and I'm kind of like, okay, I am Dutch, but what can I do to stop being what can I do to stop this Dutch disease? Inherently racist. Like, like, what can I do to... I don't, like, I don't want to separate myself from my entire, like, heritage, but I can't attach myself to that to that portion of my heritage mm-hmm. anymore. Like, I can't look at it that way. So, just what this author kind of did for me, if we're... If I'm giving it, like, a rating or whatever, a review, is, like, I can't because it, like, almost, like, stripped off a part of me. And so I'm, like, extremely raw right now because I still have no idea, like, I don't even know what my heritage is anymore. But if I never read that book, like, I'm so incredibly glad I did because I needed that. Like, I needed that education. My family needed that education. It was very, very important that that happened. 
I don't want to go too into like, oh, that's so brave of you to stop being <laughs> racist. But like, <laughs> but like, you know, like it. I do. I do think a lot of people, even who will proclaim, proclaim to the to the high sun to the high skies about how they're not racist and how they're a leftist and how you know they're totally for like like BLM. A lot of people will will sit there at the dinner table with like a racist uncle or grandparent and just say nothing. So I think like it's really good that you actually took the time after reading the book to sit down with multiple members of your family and have a dialogue about it. Um, Like that's, that's the number one thing that like I've heard from a lot of people of color that that is one of the number one things that white allies can do. Yeah. Yeah. Educate yourself. Educate other people. Yeah. And don't stand by. No. Like, educate everybody that you can once you know Mm -hmm. what's going on. Like, don't wait for a week. Like, once you know, make that effort. Yeah. Like, make it right then, right there. And I think that kind of segues into another discussion point that I had What that was about, um, I wrote here, in white leftist spaces, in white leftist spaces, there often exists a tendency to, to look over complex and serious facets of oppression and racism for favor of discussion, of discussing more relatable experiences. Um, and the, the kind of quote that reminded me of that was, anti-Semitism flowed as easily in the commune as it had with the Spanish woman in Scarborough. Um, kind of showing that, uh, again, white people are really all united by their... Hatred of others, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, really, I actually really valued his commentary on anti-Semitism because it's something that is touched on so infrequently oh, yeah. in any in, in pretty much anything not written by a Jewish person. Yeah. Uh, and as somebody who, who my stepmother and by extension, my, my two half siblings are Jewish. Um, and they, I grow up like see anti-Semitism wherever I go. And I look at it and I'm like, man, my siblings are going to have to deal with that. And that is really upsetting. Like I had an experience that I remember very clearly was in grade nine, I had social studies last period and we were going over uh, propaganda from, you know, the war. And he shows this, you know, anti-Jewish propaganda. And then the bell rings and we're all getting our coats on and I hear a few boys in the back, just out of nowhere, say, hail Hitler, gas the Jews. Oh my God. And I look back and, and then somebody comes up and says it to me and I go, my brother's Jewish. Um, and then I went and then I left the school and I went to my mom's car and I cried because <laughs> yeah. that was the, that was the reality that my brother was growing into yeah. like, as a Jewish they person. They think it's funny. Like it's mm. not a joke to... Most people, yeah. yeah, but they think that's like the it's almost like center of comedy. I know, like, so funny. People, I came across a um, just I was going through social media and I came across a, just a 
forum that just said, like, what can you do as an ally to support any of the various causes that our world's seeing right now? And it's like, stop using, um, stop making punchlines at the expense of other people. Mm. Like, I feel like it's oftentimes, it happens a lot in the Jewish community because people seem to think that anti-Semitism ended when the last concentration camp was destroyed. Yeah. And that's really not true. Um, like we're still recovering from... Yeah. In Canada, we're still recovering from residential schools. Like, we're still trying to get past that. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same thing. Like, it doesn't end when no. the last school was closed. It's still it's still there. Actually... And, yeah. yeah. Go, no. <laughs> in the book, he even is saying about how, like, there's part where he touches on um, where he sees, like, young white men adopting black culture because of the community that they're in. And he's like, to them, it almost seems like it's a joke. Like, it seems like wearing your pants low and listening to rap is almost like a costume that you can put on. Because it is for them. Because it, it is for them. And it's almost like they're not meaning. Because there's a lot of people who, like, mean to be hurtful. Like, they're making those jokes because they know they're wrong. Mm. And then there's the people who just don't know, who are just, like, blissfully ignorant, I guess. And they're making these jokes. But I feel like... Something that he touches on a lot is it's, like, when he's presenting his own trauma, you sort of have to think about your own thought process. You're, like, okay, what am I saying? How is that detrimental to his community? flows into another discussion topic which is the quote they saw no conflict between emulating american rappers and degrading my blackness yeah cultural appropriation is real it's still say the words and somebody in a 10-foot radius will go oh come on it's just it's you know it's just hair it's yeah. just food it's just it's it's just you know clothing or whatever yeah. um and but it is a it's a real means to further oppress black people yeah um which is you know people loving you know the things that black people create or loving the things that that any person of color create and not extending the same amount of love and respect for actual black people or people of color yeah I almost feel like when people are just being blissfully ignorant and they're like, you know what, what I'm doing, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, it's not, there's nothing wrong. I almost feel like that's worse than someone coming up to me and legit just being like racist. Mm -hmm. Because when I see like an ignorant person culturally appropriating someone else's culture or my culture, it fills me with like so much anger because I feel like it should be basic knowledge by now. Like, I don't think... Like, I don't think I'd have to tell somebody that blackface is wrong. Like, I feel like you should already know that it's wrong, right? And, and or like, wearing someone's uh, traditional hair. I should always, like, I feel like you should already know that that's a wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was... Okay, I was going to say, yeah. with, like, my personal experience with racism, I was friends with this guy, thought he was fine, like, we never hung out or anything, but, like, you know, we were friends, and then, um, just the other day, on his private story, 
He's just saying the N-word. He said it like seven times within a minute. So I obviously remove him from my Snapchat. Don't talk to him anymore. But then the next day he adds me again. He's like, why'd you remove me? And I was like, buddy, like you said the N-word. Like I'm not being friends with someone who's racist. And then he was like, yeah, but like I was drinking, so it doesn't even matter. And I was like, okay, but that's not an excuse. Like, you know, it's wrong. And he was like, well, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's not me you're supposed to be apologizing to. Like, mm. like yeah. being drunk or being under the influence, like, it's not, a, it's not I, an excuse for anything. I know, I like, feel like we've already, like, that's, like, something that, like, it, like our culture's, like, like, putting, especially with, like, rape culture. People, mm. like, that's such a, like, that's mm-hmm. something that's thrown out there. Victim blaming. Yeah. I just had one more discussion point that I think everybody has strong feelings about and it's basically just the way that the human experience was portrayed in this book and like the rawness of it i think we can all say that he didn't hold anything back no you received anything that happened to him you didn't get a little google synonym version okay you got what happened when it happened and that is with everything from like his own sexual abuse his own physical abuse emotional um, to also, like, his own, like, sexual activity and... His self-harm. His, his self-harm, his, um... Attempted suicide. Yeah. Like, everything. You hear about it. And I almost feel like it couldn't have been any way else. Mm. And if it was any other way, I wouldn't like the book as much. Yeah. And it's almost the kind of book that you can't say that you... That you can't, you can't say that you like. Although you enjoy... You can't even, like... I can't even say that I enjoyed reading it. I, I can say, like, I didn't enjoy reading the book, but it was still a really well-written and a good book yeah. to read. Yeah, I it was think so important. That reminds me of, of, a, of a quote about uh, another really important uh, movie called Grave of the Fireflies. I watched a review on it. Um, and it's basically, it's not a, it's, it's a beautiful book. Um, it doesn't make you feel good to read it. But at the end, it's a feeling of, you know what, you read this, it's, it gives you so much more as a piece of art. Yeah. Um, it gives you a lot as a piece of art. And you did it. You read through the graphic, sad book. And that's and, almost what a better book is. Yeah. Like, when, it, when you read a book and you're like, okay... I didn't enjoy reading that, but like, I read two books I got in my life, like this book and a book called The Choice by a Holocaust Survivor. Mm-hmm. And those were two books that I, I honestly felt sick reading, but they're so important. And you can't just read not, you can't just read fiction, young adult, you can't read young adult fiction every single day of your life. Like you have to read this stuff. And that's why like props to this guy. Like he didn't do, I can't even think of anything that he's done wrong. I've, like, I, ever since I was, like, in, like, fifth grade or whatever, I've had a very high reading level for my age. Um, Read Harry Potter in grade two. (laughs) We love that. And so, you know, every time I would receive a piece of uh, something to read in an English class, uh, I never felt challenged by it. And this was a, a constant issue for me. One of the main reasons why I chose to take this 11-1 class um, was I wanted to feel challenged. And I 
feel like I recognize now that I'm not going to be able to find any more books that challenge like my reading comprehension. (laughs) But this is a challenging book that was valuable for me to read, not because of its vocabulary and not because of, you know, any of the, the, the themes. Well, it partly because of the themes, but basically it's not a challenging book. Like I would say, if it took, if it was hard to read physically, yeah. but it's a challenging book in a way that it got my mind just racing. Yeah. It really, really did its work on my thoughts. And that's the most important thing that you can get with literature. Yeah. Also, I just want to say he picked like the prettiest colors for the <laughs> yeah. episode. It's Honestly. such a good looking book. And I think that's a good thing because Someone that hasn't been exposed to this much, like, rawness and, like, emotional trauma I might pick up the book and say, like, this is, this is, looks so good. Like, in the library, they could just pick it up, start reading it, and then they'll learn a bunch of stuff. And, and it's think- almost like you can't stop, because yeah. to judge, it's almost like, I found it, I was trying to write, like, my review for it, and I was trying to think of what I was going to say. And I don't think we could really do this review any other way. Mm. Because to judge this book objectively is to judge somebody's life objectively. And you can't do that. Yes, absolutely. You couldn't have said it any better. Because this man is very vulnerable in writing this. And I can't sit here and talk about, like, oh, his paragraphing. Oh, his, like, conventions. Like, fantastic. I can't say that. Because it's like you coming up to me and knowing a part of my life and then saying, like, done that better. Same same, re- see, same like, reason why you can't go like, well, I'm mad because it didn't have a conclusion. Life sometimes doesn't have a conclusion. Yeah. Sometimes His life isn't over. Yeah, he's yeah. still alive. Yeah. Still and, sometimes, and sometimes bad things just happen. And sometimes we need to be exposed to that. Yeah. Because if we lead sheltered lives and we can't accept traumatic lives then what's going to happen when your trauma comes to you? Because it comes to everybody. I think it almost is better this way. I feel like if it had ended and he was like, and now I live in a big, big house and everything's fine and I have a wonderful boyfriend, I it would make it feel like, you know, usually when, when things like that happen in memoirs and stories, it's like, well, all this trauma happened to me, and it made me who I am today. And that's almost like... But I hate that narrative. Some, so like, Because for so much of this book, he was a kid. He didn't need to grow. He, needed to, he didn't need to grow from the trauma. He needed to be protected. Yeah. And there, like, comes a, there comes a time when you have to acknowledge that kids are forced to grow up really fast. Mm. And that while we're, while we're always talking about like mature kids and kids who are like growing up faster, we're always talking about that. I think even in this book, he says that one of his teachers told him that he was really mature. Mm. And it's like, and you know, in that same paragraph, I yeah. remember him saying like, it's because I was forced yeah. to be mature. It's like, you can't, you can't look at a kid and say, oh, you're really mature. Because like, if you think why that kid's mature, you're not going to be, you're not going to be very happy about it. Like in... Mm. Until kids make the active decision to leave their house or until they're at least, like, 18, 19, they need help. Like, they need to be protected. They shouldn't go through that stuff. That shouldn't happen. Mm. Sure, it might make you stronger when you're older, but, like... But you didn't need to be strong. You didn't need to be strong. You needed to be safe. 
you need like you need to be vulnerable when you're a kid that's the whole definition like you need that experience like like we're still children Mm. so like all of us we also need that like there's a part and I just feel like he really like in his writing and in his like not sheltering anything you could almost see that like this isn't okay yeah you weren't allowed to think about it any other way than it was and that was just magnificent Mm. Um, just to sum it all up, this is not a book that you are going to enjoy reading, but it's a book that you really should read because it's very important to exposure and just to the quality of your life and everybody else's life around you. Yeah, it is a masterclass in memoir writing. Even as you you won't enjoy reading the book, uh, you will feel like you know Muhammad. And almost when the book ends, you'll feel like you're losing a friend. Uh, you'll feel like almost like you're, well, I know that I felt like I was abandoning a friend after everything I had read that he went through. I was like, wow, I am gonna miss you and miss your perspective. And I think that's what every memoir writer should strive to do. Make the audience feel like they know them on a deep level. Exactly. Do you have anything that you'd like to add? Oh, is that what you guys been doing? Like, pausing it? No, we're just no. adding flags to it so I know what to cut out. Oh. Like, ooh. That's <laughs> like, listen to this, Carolyn. I you just, like, cut this out. I yeah. the screen was, like, darkening, so you were just, like... Oh. No, uh, we're just trying. So do you have anything you'd like to say? Um, no. <laughs> All right. No problem. Fair enough. Um, we understand that you're very busy, but this is a book that you should definitely make time for. And everybody should make time for it because you're never too busy to read about somebody else's life. Yeah, also I read it in like two sittings, so you'll Exactly. Be you'll be you'll be fine. It's like hundred and eighty pages and it will teach you it's in hundred and eighty seven pages, it'll teach you more than anything you've ever read before. Yeah. Mm. About a lot of important social issues, world issues. Yeah. 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 So thanks for listening. Bye. 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 <laughs>